Welcome to Vegan Business Talk with Katrina Fox, author of Vegan Ventures, Start and Grow an Ethical Business. Hello and welcome to episode 58 of Vegan Business Talk. I'm Katrina Fox, journalist, author, media and PR coach, copywriter, editor and proofreader and founder of Vegan Business Media, a content events and training platform providing success tips for vegan business owners and entrepreneurs. In this episode, I interview Tracy O'Keefe, clinical hypnotherapist, naturopath and wealth builder. And full disclosure, she also happens to be my wife. (laughs) Over four and a half decades, she started, owned and run several businesses in many industries in different parts of the world. While she was at college at 15 in the UK studying the beauty business, Tracy worked three part-time jobs and started her first business, which provided home hairdressing services. She went on to be a partner in a chain of health clubs in her teenage years with a champion weightlifter and national weight loss competition winner. She's owned her own dance company, was co-owner of an employment agency and ran and owned a Rolls-Royce and Bentley dealership that shipped collectors models from the UK to the US. She sold European fine watercolours and oil paintings into the US auction houses in New Orleans, Florida and New York and founded one of England's first organic hotels and restaurants. For more than 20 years, Tracy has helped thousands of people to empower themselves, attain emotional well-being and achieve their goals through her clinical hypnotherapy and psychotherapy clinics in London and Sydney, Australia as well as her suite of online downloadable self-help programs. As well as being an experienced hypnotherapist who also trains other hypnotherapists, she's also a qualified and registered naturopath and medical nutritionist and is the owner and clinical director of the Australian Health and Education Centre in central Sydney, which operates on plant-based principles. She's also the author of several books on topics including sex, gender and sexuality, diversity, hypnosis and overcoming trauma and crisis. And she's currently writing a couple of new books at the moment as well. So she's a very busy bee. (laughs) Tracy is consulted by and coaches many of Australia's top CEOs and small business owners to help them maximize their full potential, helping them start and run their businesses and develop a money mindset to build their wealth. In this interview, she discusses a different way of looking at selling that those with an activist background will particularly appreciate, how to handle negative media coverage, which she's experienced, a simple, fast and effective strategy to cultivate resilience and protect yourself from criticism, why you need to invest in yourself as well as your business, The one thing every vegan business owner must do constantly to ensure their business is successful. How to balance the demands of relationships and family with running your business and much more. Here's the interview with Tracy O'Keefe. Hello, Tracy, and thank you so much for joining me. Hello, Katrina, to you and your listeners. 
<laughs> and I'm laughing because, of course, you join me every day because you're my wife. I do join you every day, yes. <laughs> <laughs> but we need to do an official intro for the listeners. Fantastic. So, look, the first question I ask everybody is um, about their why, about their purpose. So you run a successful hypnotherapy and naturopathy clinic, as well as helping business owners and CEOs from large companies improve their health and their wealth. What are some of the reasons for doing what you do? I think um, many of the reasons is I'm on purpose. I believe very much in health. Uh, I try to be as healthy as I can myself. And my experience over the years as a naturopath is that when you put your effort into your health, you get effort out of health for the other things that you do. So I think it's really, really important if you're having a good life or if you're having good mental health or running a business that you are healthy and focused and having a good time. So it really gives me a kick when I see people doing well. Lovely. So, And you do actually, you do very much um, practice what you preach and... Um, yeah, live live what you're doing, which is great. So now you've got quite an eclectic business background. Uh, you know, you've had your own dance company. When I met you, you had a bed and breakfast in Brighton in the UK. You've um, sold car, luxury cars in America. Uh, you know, you've done a lot of stuff. Um, so and you've always been self-employed, apart from a few jobs when you were very young, you've always been a business owner. What do you particularly like about that? Uh, for me, I didn't really have a choice. I was a terrible employee. <laughs> <laughs> what do you mean you were a terrible employee? Well, I, I didn't really like politics. And um, I, when I was, I started my first business when I was 15, so what was I was involved in three health clubs for until 15, until 17. Um, the person, people I worked with, there was a champion weightlifter and his wife who was slimmer of the year at that time. And we, we built the health clubs over the, on the back of that, that publicity that she was slimmer of the year. So that gave me the first taste of, of having money and I was going to college, working three jobs, running the business. So I was really off and going. I worked in different companies, but I found it constraining because of the politics and because basically I wanted to earn my own money. Mm. So you're kind of a born entrepreneur, a born business owner, do you think? I think I was I, I was one out of necessity. I mean, I was born into a very poor family. And as a child, I had to sell firewood and potatoes on the marketplace and do anything I could to make money for pocket money so I could go to ballet class. <laughs> it was just that I had to make money. And then it became second nature to me in my life that... Uh, I started this business, made money, moved to that business, made more money. It's just second nature to me at this time of life. Uh, 40, 
seven years after starting in business. Wow, that's a long time. It is. (laughs) So you've had all that experience. So how, and as I say, they've been quite eclectic businesses that you run. How have your previous enterprises, how have they helped you? So all the skills that you've picked up um, through running those businesses, how have they helped you in your current businesses that you run today? I think uh, the, the major thing is discipline in that I'm a very disciplined worker. I get up every single day and I work five days a week. Um, and it's always been that way. I'm not someone who will take a day off. Uh, at the weekends, it's weekend time. But during the week, uh, I get up and I'm on my game straight away. And with all the different businesses, I've always been very dedicated to what I do and believed in what I'm selling. I think that's the key. I always believe in what I'm selling. Mm. I think that is an important one, actually, particularly like you say, you know, you in order to get you out of bed regularly and to to keep doing that, you've got to have your motivation to keep you going. And so having that passion for what you're selling is important. Absolutely. I mean, when I was selling Rolls Royces, they were antique Rolls Royces. And this uh, was what, in the 80s? In the 80s, from collectors' ones from England to America, and hand, uh, hand-fashioned Bentleys. And I knew that the Americans were hungry for them and they would pay a good price. So I could see the profit the moment we bought them at auction in the UK. So... Uh, and and they were very beautiful cars. I mean, they were really beautiful. They were handcrafted. It was a dream to drive them. Um, when I had a, a hotel, it was organic. So uh, I used organic produce. So I very much, I, I don't really want to be involved in businesses that I don't believe in. Mm. It's important, yeah, because like you say, you do any business to make a lot of money, but running an ethical business is uh, is a, a mission-driven um, purpose and thing to do. So that's great. So let's talk about some of the challenges facing small business owners, particularly when they're starting out. Yes, most of the small business owners I see, well, let's look at the the stats first of all. After two years, about 50% of businesses go bust. Five years, another 25%. About n- after nine years, there's only about 5% of businesses still in business. And the reason is very, very clear. It's generally because the person running the business hasn't taken the time to be educated. In other words, they've gone into a business and they're running as fast as they can and learning on the job. And that, I think, is a really bad idea. I think if you're going into business, you need to invest money in yourself to train you how to run a business and train you how to run a business profitably. (laughs) That's the most important thing. Otherwise, it's just a way to flush your money down the toilet, basically, at the end of the day. 
But don't you think as well, though, I mean, obviously, you can't know everything before you go into it. Yes, you can train yourself in, in business and how to run a business. But unless you're actually doing it, there are going to be things that you have to learn as you go along, because you can't anticipate, you know, what might happen and what may not happen. So, I mean, I hear what you're saying about, yes, we need you to be educated before you take that leap. But I think also as well, do you agree, there is also a certain amount of learning on the job, because there has to be. You know, like when you first started out as a hypnotherapist, you know, and you, you you had the training and what have you, and you'd run different businesses, but you still had to kind of get that momentum going and learn some basic stuff as you go. Absolutely. Uh, that's true to a certain extent. But the reason those 95% of businesses aren't in business nine years later is because people haven't invested money in themselves as a business person. For instance, maybe they've opened uh, a burger shop and they flip burgers and they think it's wonderful and they expect that customers will come to them. And it's not going to happen. Uh, You have to be trained as a business person separately from running the business that you're running. And that's very, very, very important because it doesn't matter what business it is, you must approach it as a business person, not as someone who's just invested in that business. What do you mean? Well, you know, there are skills to running the burger shop, for instance. You have to flip the burgers, you've got to order it, etc. But being a business person, you have to run your business on principles where you have enough cash reserves, you have enough staff flow, you have a good lease, etc. And I see so many people who come into seminars that I teach and they've signed leases for businesses uh, that really aren't going to make money for years. For me as a business person, I believe that you should make a business profitable in the first 28 days. And the reason for that is you should even start selling before you open the doors. And if you don't, and you're not making the money in the bank, your business won't be up to stay open. How does that work then with a burger shop? How can they start selling before they open the door? Well, you start advertising beforehand and putting word out and doing the social media and doing the right. advertising. Right, yeah, so getting a following and, and getting interest. And building your client base and your expectation even before the doors are open. So when the doors open, you have a queue outside and then you create loyalty with that queue to come back and buy again. Yeah. But I, I think just opening the doors and hoping for the best um, probably won't make you a profit. <laughs> yeah, so I understand what you're saying. That makes sense about generating that buzz well before you open, like letting people know it's coming so people get excited. And like you say, you you know, you perhaps get your opt-ins on your, your email and your social media so that when you do open, you've got a ready-made um, clientele that will, will come yeah, to you. So, so that makes sense. Yeah, for sure, for sure. So, so that what about yourself then? What about some of your own challenges in business? What have they been, and and how have you overcome them? Uh, I think my challenges in business were particularly around probably relationships in business, balancing the difference between my personal relationships and business, um, because. 
the person you're with might not be a business person. And the demands that they put on you and the family put on you might not understand that you are a business person. And there's a lot of um, disagreement between couples and families that partners don't understand what it takes to run a business and to make the business profitable. So for me, uh, when I was younger, I was often with partners who weren't business people. And that was a learning curve for me. And I had to learn to do what I do and to really make sure that my partners fitted into that rather than me running around fulfilling expectations of being something that I'm not. Mm. I'm always going to be a business person. You know, if I'm 104 years old and in a wheelchair, I'm going to be running a business. (laughs) It's it's just, I'm going to be delivering things. This is so true, I know. I know you so well and I know this is true. (laughs) I'm going to have a rocket-propelled motorised wheelchair and I'm going to have a delivery service. (laughs) I'm going to be making money uh, because it's my nature. I think that's really important that you've touched on about that, which some people don't think about. They kind of think about, well, okay, I've got to get educated in how to run a business and all the different tasks that are involved in running a business and all of that sort of stuff. And they actually forget about that other aspect, like how is it going to impact my personal life? And like you've said, how is it going to impact my relationship? So what advice or tips then can you offer for people in how to handle that, how to broach that with your partner in a way that, you know, you're not being bullshit and saying, right, this is what I'm doing. Take me or leave me. (laughs) Um, You know, particularly if they're already in a relationship and, you know, they're both perhaps, you know, working day job, like they're employed and then one of them wants to start a business. How could they kind of broach that um, with their partners so that them starting a business kind of works and that the partner and the family, like the children, if they have any, kind of get on board with it? I think it comes back to what I call the contract. Whenever I see couples in therapy, one of the first things I ask them is, what's your contract? And they look at me very, very vague, and they look at each other even vaguer. And they say, oh, well, we're married. Well, any fool can spend $100 and go and get a marriage certificate. But do you have a contract that's a plan well, A, is this plan straight B? They can. Yes, <laughs> I just want to oh, throw that's that true. In there. That is true. Hello? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> but even if you know they're gay or sex and gender diverse, also they need a contract on the principles on which to run the relationship, because that way there's no ugly surprises. So you both know what is expected from each other. Also, I think communication is the huge, huge uh, tool to, to run the business and the relationship synonymously in that you need to sit down with your partner opposite each other on a kitchen table and take a timer and just do five minutes each way so that you talk about what you want to do and what you're going to do in a positive way. And you come to some kind of agreement that this is the time you spend together and this is the time you're going to be in your business. And that the business is making money adds to the quality of your life. If a business detracts from your relationship, 
you're faced with that fait accompli, is it the business or the relationship? (laughs) (laughs) Sometimes people choose either. But if you want to make the relationship work whilst having the business, regular communication, not while you're moving, while you're both sitting opposite each other. Mm. And And in a neutral place. In a neutral place. And it's important to have what I call a talking stick. Native Americans have a talking stick. You can use part of a broom handle and carve it and paint it so it's very beautiful. And you can have it in the middle of the table. And the person whose five minutes it is has the talking stick and it's their turn to speak and be heard. Mm. without the other person interrupting. Mm. Okay. So I think it's that communication is the key. And it's interesting that you ask that question because it actually comes back into the business as well with your staff in that communication is the key again. Yeah. Look, before we go on to staff, so I just want to touch on that, what you've just said. And I, I agree with you. And I know you and I do that kind of thing. And, and it, it is good, I think, as well, yeah, to, to why I threw in the getting, doing it in a neutral place so that you're out of that environment. But what you said, well, like you touched on, you know, when you're talking about, you know, okay, so I want to run a business, I want to start a business. And you said to, you know, say that, look, having the money coming in from this business is a good thing. But, but say, for example, like, because service type businesses can sometimes be a bit different. It can be a lot easier to get a profit uh, quicker from a service-based business. You know what I mean? You can hire a serviced office. You know, your overheads are a lot lower. If you're opening, say, a burger, with using the, the example of a vegan burger joint, then obviously, you know, you've perhaps spent money doing all the fit-out and all this kind of thing. Um, so it may take a bit longer for that profit to start coming in. Um, so how does that kind of work? Would you... Would you um, encourage like you know couples to say look you know it could be uh, by this time these are my projections or you know this is what I aim to have done by this amount of time um, and to continually check in and give updates to people because I know for certain types of businesses it can take longer for them to get into profit simply because you know they've maybe took a loan out to or a credit card debt to actually do like the fit out and buy the equipment because some of the equipment like kitchen equipment can be really expensive um so can you just sort of touch on that because I know we touched on that a little bit earlier about you know being in profit from 28 days but I just wanted to kind of touch on that that for some businesses it can and will take longer I I hear what you're saying but as soon as those doors open it's all hands on deck and all hands on deck is selling and selling is the most important department in the business If you're sitting and waiting for business to come to you, you're going to be that 50% who goes bankrupt after the first two years. So you need to be selling before you open the doors and selling crazily in the first month. And that way you can pay your staff, you can pay the rent, you can pay the rates, the electricity, etc. Pre-sell if you want to. I mean, Apple is the perfect example of that. When a new model of Apple has been coming out over the years, there's been queues outside the door halfway down the street to buy the latest model. Mm, Well, they've built up a heap of brand loyalty over the years. They have, but it's the way they did it as well and that they invested huge amounts in publicity and hype. So they built their customer base even before they launched the project 
And that is the ideal model that you must sell before you open the doors. Mm-hmm. And many businesses, I, I, I'm thinking of one particular business that I became aware of recently. It's been open for a year. It's not making money. And they're now beginning to, it's losing money by the truckloads. And they're now beginning to think, maybe we should sell. We should start selling. It's a year and a month too late. Mm. You need to start selling beforehand. And I think that's the most important thing in all of my businesses. I've sold, 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 sold. A business is about selling and then delivering, not about delivering and then selling. Mm. Yeah, that's true. And I, I agree with that. And, and um, yeah, doing that whole pre-selling, whether it's, um, you know, just getting people involved in in your brand, like we say, you know, getting on the social media, letting people know what's coming, giving them teasers. Uh, if you're a service provider and you're going to do a course, pre-sell your course, which is what I'm doing with uh, my new online PR course. I'm pre-selling it. Make sure the demand is there for sure. So, with you being a, a practitioner, so in your hypnotherapy clinic, for example, um, you see clients one-on-one um, in your clinic. Um, what about for people who can't get, obviously, you know, you want to share your skills with with the masses. So um, you've been quite smart about leveraging your skills in creating some downloadable products so that people who are in other countries or interstate who maybe can't come and see you um, at the clinic uh, can benefit from those. So can you talk a bit about that and why you chose to do that? Well, we live in Australia (laughs) and Australia is so big and we're a long way from uh, so many places in the world. Also, when Australians phone me up, they'll, uh, we're in New South Wales, and they may say, well, I'm in Victoria or, or I'm in the Northern Territory. And I couldn't help them, but I can help them with downloadable products and very efficiently and effectively. And uh, I think that's really important as a business owner to get out as far as you can um, to service your market. It might be a niche market, but the bigger you can make that niche market, the better. And I I think very much that I try to do what I do best and get other people to do the rest. Yeah, I was going to ask you about that, about the whole stuff, because I know personally that you're very big on hiring staff and hiring experts to help you grow so that you can focus on what you do best. Yeah, uh, knowing what you do well, there are things I'm I'm terrible at. I'm no good at whatsoever. (laughs) And I just don't do it. Editing. (laughs) I get someone else to do it. Me, usually with the editing. (laughs) Yes, and a brilliant editor you are too. Uh, But that's served you well over the years, hasn't it, in your current business, in your previous businesses? Absolutely. Because I think that's important for people to know that, to know, because often in the beginning when people start, businesses they're bootstrapping they're doing absolutely everything themselves and maybe they need to initially you know to to start with but I think as soon as you possibly can it's it's good to to outsource the tasks that you're not good at and that are not your speciality I think it's essential from day one not to do the stuff that you shouldn't be doing and to spend your time selling Mm. and that's if you you should be the person in the business that is able to sell the best 
even with your sales department, because you own the company. And I say to people, if you have a business and you have a sales department, don't expect the sales department to sell better than you do, because it's your business. You should know the product inside out. And be passionate about it. And be absolutely passionate about it. So I avoid doing anything that I'm no good at. (laughs) (laughs) And I focus on the things I'm good at. And I'm particularly good at working with people, inspiring people and giving them the skills to go forward and be very successful. So I love doing that. I'm passionate at doing that. And that's where my dollar lies. You have to identify where your dollar lies and not spend time where the cents lie. Mm. I, well, that's I, a good little quote. It yeah. is because the the <laughs> can the, make a meme about that. It is when the people who help me, uh, I need to focus on making the big dollar while they're servicing the things for the the smaller amount of monies that I can pay them to do. Mm. Mm. For instance, the, the 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 accounting or the books. I would never. I've never spoken to the tax people in forty seven years. I I wouldn't know <laughs> what to say to them. I've always had an accountant, and the accountant is between me and the tax people, and that guarantees that my tax returns are in on time. They're perfectly correct, and I don't have any hassle. Mm. And that's very important. It's worth spending on. We should say, like, remember when we first came to Australia, for those people who don't know, when Tracy and I moved from London to Sydney, we opened a hair and beauty salon uh, for a few years. It was one of Sydney's first vegan uh, hair and beauty salons. And I did the books for for some time. And, uh, you know, entering in, th- I'd, do, I'd just do it every quarter because I couldn't bear to do it any other time. And it was this mammoth task. And I'd usually get it wrong. And I'd have to go back and check it all again. And it would do my head in because I'm just much better with words than I am with numbers um so that wasn't the best choice to have me doing (laughs) me doing the accounts but you know we we did it and in a way it was kind of good experience to see what it was all about but even then at the end of the tax year we'd still have someone in to check my stuff and correct it so I think that's a really really good advice particularly with something like accounting and and bookkeeping is to that's one of the areas I think to really get someone who does that you know a specialist in um to do that for you for sure so no that's great brilliant and absolutely you were doing the books for the clinic at the same time oh I know and that was really good but it helped you understand the structure the financial structure of a business and as a, a business person you must be small chunk you must know where every dollar's going and where every dollar's coming from. Yeah, that's a good point. So even though you have an accountant and a bookkeeper, you've still got to keep an eye on what's going on on it. I think that's that's probably important to add to that rather than just giving it to the accountant and the bookkeeper and they do it all and you don't know what's going on. It's important for you to understand, you know, for us all to understand the financial health of our businesses. It's quite funny because I don't know what my accountant does and they don't know what I do. <laughs> <laughs> Except we seem to make money. And uh, because I always have those figures inside my head and I'm always thinking every day, what's the profit today? What's the profit this week? What's the profit uh, in a year, in five years? I'm always projecting what the profit will be. And it's a business person needs to be very, very small chunk, particularly if they're running a 
vegan business because they also have the uh, the need to monitor that side of the business as well. So they have to know exactly how their business is vegan. Mm, that's true. And I remember just going back to the hair and beauty salon example. So one of my jobs, because I don't do hair or anything like that, but one of my jobs was to check the ingredients of all the products uh, because we wanted to make sure, you know, we we're operating a vegan and as much as possible an eco-friendly, like natural uh, hair and beauty salon. So my job was to check all the ingredients. And I remember having to, you know, make phone calls late to because of the time difference to France um, for this particular product and speak to somebody you know, high up to find out, is this product? product actually vegan so uh, there is those kind of extra right those extra demands um, on a, a vegan business to to check all of those things I know that our friend Jessica who runs the cruelty free shop in Sydney and one of the nice things about being going into the cruelty free shop which is an all vegan store and she's got branches across Australia is that uh, everything is checked for you um, so I know that I can go in and okay if I don't want refined sugar and all the rest of it then I have to check but I know as a vegan I can walk into that shop I can literally grab anything off the shelf and I know that the staff have been diligent in checking everything that that product is vegan so yeah that, that's great and that's important that in you running your business that your customers sense the same thing that they sense your your diligence and your care in what you're selling to them absolutely no that's very true awesome cool let's talk a bit about competition so how do you go about standing out because obviously there's lots of hypnotherapists lots of naturopaths um how do you go about standing out as a hypnotherapist and naturopath to maintain a steady flow of work and people through your clinic well as a hypnotherapist of course I don't see people for very long because we work yes, so quickly. Yes, <laughs> It's not like I'm going to be seeing them every week for a year. It's, you know, I maybe see them three, four, five times at the maximum by the time they've done the work and changed their life. And that's, that's brilliant. So we need a constant flow of new clients coming into the business. And you get a lot of referrals, obviously. I get a lot of referrals is, yeah. as well, yes. A lot of goodwill over the decades. But it's important that you do have that turnover of new people coming in all the time, new people coming in all the time into your business and not resting on your laurels that you think you have an established customer, so now you can sit back. So how do you go about standing out in your mind? I stand out in the way that I'm passionate about what I do. Yeah, but lots of people, because there are lots of hypnotherapists and naturopaths are passionate. I, I also spent decades studying intensely what I did. I mean, I have a degree and a doctorate in clinical hypnotherapy. And I never, uh, I've read for two hours at least every single day of my life. And I write and I research. I, I, I suppose I'm pretty much obsessed with what I do. And clients pick up on that. And I, I remember when I was very, very, very young, uh, 16 and 17, I had the very great benefit of having a friend who was uh, Jack Cohen, Sir John Cohen in the UK. And we used to meet on the beach a couple of times a week when I was 16 and 17 years old in Hove which is all pebbles, uh, and 
we just used to watch the sea. How did you meet him? Was his? Wouldn't you tell me? I, his I wife used to do was, his wife's hair. Right, and she introduced right. me to him, and and he owned one of the major supermarkets. He owned uh, in Tesco's in the oh, okay. UK. He started Tesco's in the UK, and he started on a market store. He was a a Jewish tailor's son at the beginning of the twentieth century, and he sold sails for aeroplanes in the First World War. They were made of canvas. And he was passionate about his business. He knew the price of every product in his supermarkets. He knew how much money he was making on those products. And he was always going from one branch to the next branch to the next branch. And he he was passionate about what he did. Many people who go into business think it's going to be a job of another kind. It's not. It's a way of life. Being a business person is a way of life. And if you're passionate in your business and you take the time to study your business, the trade or the business, and being a business person, then you will be successful and you will stand out. And I think one of the ways you stand out as well is that you create a lot of content. So you've created a whole load of free uh, videos that are on your YouTube covering a whole load of things. So you're kind of you're out there um, quite a lot. And I know some of them have had like 70, 80,000 views. Um, So I guess that's one way as well for people um, to stand out is to create content. You know, we're in the age of content marketing. um, And I think you do a, a good job of that by putting stuff out there. Now, let's talk a bit about then. So we're on competition uh, and I put that in quotes because a lot of people say nowadays particularly you know marketing people say well nowadays businesses should stop thinking about having competition and instead embrace them as collaborators and maybe do joint ventures so tell us a bit about that because I know you're very passionate about the profession of hypnotherapy and you give workshops and you offer training so tell us a bit about that. Yeah, collaboration is really good. I mean, I'm friendly with the people in the different associations in Australia. I know people in the associations in the UK, some in America. And, And that's really good because part of what I do is promoting the profession. Uh, And that's just as important as making money yourself. And you know, I remember very, very early in the 1990s, um, a guy who sold mobile phones right about 91, 92. And I got you to buy your first mobile phone off him. Oh, you did, yes. I remember that, yeah. And he, he was an electronics guy and he was crazy about mobile phones. And he, he knew the people in the mobile phone business. Uh, and they were all sort of talking to each other and they all grew together to make millions of dollars. Um, and I think it's very important not to see people who sell something that you sell as your competitor, mm, but someone who's lifting the market, mm. lifting mm. the market. So it's lifting the product, uh, elevating the product. Joint ventures are very good if it's going to be profitable, and if you've got the right contract, you must Mm. nail that contract for the JV Mm. because many people fall out over joint ventures 
because they haven't nailed the JV contract before they go into it. Yeah, important to do your due diligence as well about whoever you're going to partner up with. Absolutely. And that's doing that with somebody who's not only on the same wavelength as you, but also that you complement each other. Yes. So it's not all about competition. Uh, One party brings one aspect to the venture and another party brings another aspect. Um, so often joint ventures are can be really, really profitable uh, when you're working together and it has to be friendly and happy. Mm. Happiness is the key to a great business venture. I felt like we should start singing that song. But <laughs> was it happy, happiness is the truth? I just felt like we That's should suddenly one. burst yes. into song and <laughs> sing that. So, all right, fantastic. Let's talk a bit about the use of the word vegan. So obviously it's become quite trendy nowadays. It's not, you know, it's not quite as scary as it used to be. But for dif- you know, different businesses, some of them will boldly use the word vegan and others won't. Tell us about your choice, particularly in your hypnotherapy and your naturopathy um, clinic, um, but also in your wealth building business as well. So tell us about your use or your choice rather of whether or how much to use or not use the word vegan in your marketing materials. I never use the word vegan. Uh, As a naturopath, I give uh, patients the best choice for them. If they come in and they've had a quintuple bypass or they have liver problems or diabetes, I'm going to give them the best treatment to help them function and be as healthy as they possibly can. It so happens that choice is moving to plant-based eating and plant-based living. As a, a psychotherapist, as a clinical hypnotherapist, I want the person to be comfortable with their journey through the world in that their journey through the world doesn't leave carnage. And it so happens that that journey as is as a plant-based person, considering people, animal and planet. And as a business person, I also don't want to lie in my grave with the regret, I can't take my money with me. I, I need to go to the great goddess beyond, uh, <laughs> With the thought that I've made as much effort as possible to leave the planet in the best shape it can be. And that's looking after animals, uh, the planet, and people as much as possible. So I think it's an ethical way of living. But you don't actually um, force the work. So you don't, I suppose we should say, because you're not really necessarily going after a vegan market. You're go, you literally, you work with people from all walks of life. I mean, you have cattle farmers and dairy farmers coming to see you um, and they end up going away and going on a plant-based diet, yes, which is very cool. <laughs> and I guess so for someone like yourself, you, you don't, use the word vegan because you you don't want people to have preconceptions um, about coming to see you. I, I don't want to frighten them in advance. And the word vegan does frighten people who know nothing about it. Uh, it's all very well being vegan and shouting the world, etc., amongst a load of other old uh, vegans who have been vegans forever. But for a lot of people who know nothing about living ethically in a vegan way or eating plant-based diet, it's very terrifying for them. 
So I, I don't use that. A small part of my website says we are a yeah, plant-based, plant-based clinic. clinic. Yeah. No animal ingredients that's it. and testing. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So... So I think that's important for people to know that to work to find out what works for you, you know, because for some people or for some aspects of their business, it might work. But if you're work, if you're mainly looking to attract a mainstream client clientele from all walks of life, then, you know, you may choose, like you say, to slip plant based in there somewhere, um, but not necessarily use it. So I always like to ask people that because it's different for it. There's no right answer to that question. Like for, if businesses are different for some businesses, it absolutely works to, you know, have vegan all over it for others. It doesn't. So. For Thank me, you for that only a small part of my clientele come from the vegan world. Yeah, yeah. And I'm servicing the greater world and helping them take a more ethical path in life Got and it. a healthier path. Yeah. For sure. Let's talk a bit about media. So you've been featuring quite a lot of media over the years. How important has that been in terms of raising your brand awareness as well as potentially generating leads and sales? It's really, really important. Of course, I've got a great media person. That's me. I married her. (laughs) She married her publicist. Absolutely. How smart is that? That could be the title of some kind of B-movie. She married her publicist. Um, I'm a passionate writer and I'm a passionate researcher so I knew as I went forward that publishing 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 was very important to me but just publishing without publicity is a complete waste of time Um, and the publicity raises the profile of your product Uh, so I, I, I continually write and produce material to put out into the world uh, and then get my publicist to to spruik that and to uh, take it forward and to raise my public profile. It's been very good for me, I have to say, uh, television, radio, newspapers, etc., um, because it has brought me business. Sometimes people have travelled in from different continents to see me, uh, just because they've learnt about me where they are in the world. So media, I think media is really, really important when you're running a business because if nobody knows about your business, you've lost sales. That's right. And, um, and as well, it, by putting out, you mentioned putting out your own content, which we touched on before, you know, that content marketing, by being out there when journalists go searching for people, like an expert, say they want a hypnotherapist or whatever, or, you know, someone, speciality in some area, and they, they're looking and they're searching. If you've put a lot of content out there, then, you know, you obviously come up. And I know from personal experience that, you know, you get calls uh, from journalists um, or researchers, yet yeah, um, from TV shows and radio wanting to speak to you as an expert simply because they found you online now you've also had a piece of negative media coverage um and i think it's important for people to know that you know there are risks obviously involved in being featured in the media and sometimes it doesn't always go your way sometimes journalists have got an agenda or they don't like you or what you're about maybe because you're a bit too weird uh, and so you know they maybe don't aren't, aren't overly kind so just tell us a bit about how you've actually handled that well <clears throat> you know I'm a naturopath, I'm uh, a hypnotherapist, uh, I'm transsexual, uh, 
So in a lesbian relationship. In a lesbian relationship. <laughs> Just pile it on, pile it Just on. Pile it on. Uh, so of course there are going to be some journalists that come along and so, and there was one that sent a war photographer to hide in the bushes to photograph me once. That's right. Yes, which That's was right, they did. and um it was not it was a, a good a hair day either. It was a bit of a come down for the photographer. There she was, yeah, doing all, like being sent abroad, doing all these amazing photography. Yeah, she had to hide in the bushes to take a photo of you. You just cycled to work, hadn't you? I had, yes, off. and oh. I just take my hat. And it wasn't a good hair day. <laughs> <laughs> and, and the uh, journalist had an agenda. So how did you handle it? Uh, I wrote a rebuttal, which was published online, and then you get up the next day and you start promoting your business again um you have to in business you have to be aware that some people will love you some of the time and some people will think you're the crazy person from mars and you have to live with that you know that's what the world is like the world isn't queuing up just to worship you or your product. I think that's important. I'm glad you've raised that because that was one of the questions I wanted to ask you because I know personally from you, you are the most resilient person I know, I think. You you just, you know, you've handled so much, uh, you know, stuff in your life, you know, people coming at you, like you say, for being trans, discriminating against you, just being, you know, horrible. And you're one of the most, you still bounce back and, so, and that's really important, I think, in a in a business like running a business. It's really important to develop resilience. So, can you offer some tips? Because I know it's all very well to say to people, "Look, you've got to develop a thick skin. You've got to do this." Can you offer any tips or strategies on how people can learn to do that and become resilient? Absolutely, be a nice person. That's the mo- that's the biggest tip. Uh, you know, it, be nice to your staff. Um, be nice to your customers. Be a nice person. Be someone who has people on your Facebook 40 years later who used to work for you 40 years ago. Uh, and that's, but how does that help them be resilient? That helps you be resilient how? as an individual Because lots of people owner. can be nice, but they're not necessarily resilient. Like they get a bit of criticism and it devastates them. Yes, but if you're nice, then you have serotonin and dopamine. and Maybe you need to be nice to yourself. You then. need to be nice to yourself as well uh, and... And don't drag the past around on a trolley behind you as if it's sewn to your back. Uh, (laughs) Get up the next day and start again. It's as simple as that. Every day is a gift. Every day in business is an opportunity to sell. So get and make a difference in the and world. And make a difference in the world. Because if you believe you're an ethical business owner, being as ethical as you can, you're, you're creating waves in the world with what you're doing. And that's about believing in your product and about believing in your staff and believing in your journey. That when that stuff hits you, you get up the next day and you start again. And what about the gratitude? You're very big on being grateful and every day focusing on what you're grateful for. That uh, can help develop resilience. Oh, yeah. Because you take the focus off the negative and the drama and onto what you do have. Yes, absolutely. Be grateful that you have food and a roof and opportunity to make money and staff you get on with and family. Be grateful for everything that you have. 
Be the grateful person who goes into your business every day. Don't be the whinger. <laughs> Nobody wants to work for the whinger. <laughs> it's true, isn't it? <laughs> they want to work for the person who's happy and grateful that that as a member of staff you're working for them. It's true, and it's also that whole perspective thing as well. Like sometimes we take things uh, to heart and we think and we awfulize. And I know I do that sometimes. You know, you awfulize about something, but like you say, even with negative media coverage, it doesn't mean the end of your business. It doesn't mean the end of your practice. Even if it's still sitting there in Google, you just keep doing your thing and you keep you know doing what you do best, getting your referrals, and you you carry on. So. Absolutely, and let's remember that. Branson has had negative um, press sometimes. Yeah, the guy true. who started Apple had negative press. Yeah. Who hasn't? Yeah. And if you let that drag you down, um, you're missing the point. The point is to promote the business and the business has to be a separate entity to you and you service the business. Mm. Does that make sense? Sort of. Yeah, I think so. I think so. I mean, sometimes, though, the business can be a person. So, you know, when the media come after you, they might come after you as an individual or say certain things about you. And But again, it's developing that resilience and, you know, doing what you can like you did to write the rebuttal and to just keep putting yourself out there, you know, creating. I think particularly nowadays, you know, because you've been able to create your own uh, media, your own programs, um, and just getting the word out there that, you know, you're amazing at what you do so that that then becomes small and insignificant, the negative stuff becomes small and insignificant. And also that I see my business as a member of my family mm. and I protect it like that's a bit a, weird. A, it is a bit weird, <laughs> <laughs> but that's um, how I see it. I see it as a member of my family and I protect it as if it were my child. But I'm your favourite family. You I'm are sorry. my favourite <laughs> Remember, you're absolutely right. Jolly yes. good. Just want to make sure we got the priorities right there. <laughs> All right. So, look, final couple of questions. Though. So, we've touched on some of this already, and you, I know you've been really, really big on um, selling. Now, for a lot of ethical business owners, a lot of vegan business owners, they, particularly when they're starting out or they're new and into business, they've got a bit of a thing about selling. Um, and, you know, particularly if they've maybe come from an activist background, um, what tips and strategies can you offer to help people overcome that aversion to selling? Okay. Go and learn and sell. If you have an idea, you have to sell that idea. If you write a book about the care of animals, then you have to sell that book and the idea. And it's the same with your product or your business. You need to sell it. And you can't make waves in the world if you're not selling. Go and study with professionals on how to sell. Selling is ethical because when you sell well and it's a good fit, you've served your customers. And that's very important. You've also served the animals if you're a vegan business and you've served the planet if you're considering the planet as well. So selling is the most important part of any business at all. And it's the thing you should be best at. 
Mm. I think what it is, is a lot of it is that there's certain types of selling that we've been used to that we don't like. Like you and I both get phone calls. I had two just today, actually, from random call centers and other parts of the world. So, oh, yes, I'm calling from so-and-so. Can I speak to the business owner? And they want to sell you something, but it's a cold call. And there's just not a fit. And even if they've got something that you might be interested in, the fact that they've just randomly called you up is so annoying that we're not interested. Um, so I think it's partly as well that we're, we're just used to being sold to in a really hard sell, non-fit kind of way. So I like the fact that you touched on that, that it's a good fit. Because you know what I mean? If you go into a room full of people and you start chatting and you say, oh, would you like uh, some hypnotherapy? What problems have you got? Let me solve them. You know what I mean? It's too full on. But, you know, when you have those kind of sales conversations and then you find out it's a fit, um, then, you know, there are ways of selling that are not as yucky, I think, as... Um, as some of the old school selling techniques. Well, you say that, but I love selling. I love, I love, I love selling. Having said that, the most of the people I speak to, I don't sell to in that they're not a good fit. So I'm very selective once the initial pre-sale conversation has taken place, whether I can help that person or not. So I don't just take everyone because that wouldn't be good selling. I take the people we believe we can help. And that's, and then you can soft sell. You can even hard sell if you believe your product will service that person. Mm. There's nothing wrong with selling if you're a skilled salesperson and what you're selling is a good fit for that person. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, it comes back to what I said earlier is believe in what you sell and believe that it's not right for everyone. Mm, that's a good point. But yes. for the people it's right for, sell them, sell them, sell them so you can service them. And better that they buy because you want them to buy your product rather than particularly a non-vegan, obviously, an, an unethical product. Absolutely, or yes. Now, one of the things you are big on is for business owners, particularly you know, once they're in profit, is to build their wealth. Um, and that could be in the form of property, which I know you're very big on. You like your property. It could be shares. It could be whatever people are into, whatever their choice is. Why is it important for business owners to do this? Um, we come back to the 95% who after nine, ten years are no longer in business. And markets change. So what you're selling this year might not be selling in five years' time. And a business has to be adaptable. And a business is adaptable when you make money in the business, you take money out of the business, you invest it into the next business, so you've got multiple incomes. And the multiple incomes are less, they're less in danger of fluctuating. So you build your different businesses to give you multiple incomes over the years. You must build your wealth so that you can be in business 47 years later like I am. So I'm still servicing people 47 years later because I was savvy and I built my wealth so my businesses are stable and your business has to be stable. And you may have one business and it doesn't make money anymore. So you, the market's over, so you close that business and go into another business. 
But you have to build that wealth so you have the stability through the years to be able to do that. And that allows you to also sell your philosophy. Your philosophy. Does that make sense? It does. And I think it's also worth pointing out to people that you've all, you've got to have that balance as well, because I know like with you and I, for example, there was a time when you were very much at the extreme of, right, let's do this. We've got to build for the future. It's all about the future. It's all about the future. And I'm like, well, let's spend it now. You can't take it with you. And we've kind of come towards the middle bit where, you know, you're enjoying life now and your business now whilst also uh, building in for the future as well. So I think it's important to mention for people that certainly to have a happy relationship, particularly if you're in that kind of dynamic, um, is that it's got to be all about balance. Because if you're constantly just, you know, building for the future, the future and not enjoying now, it's kind of pointless because you could just die and then all you've been doing is working yourself to death. Um, so would you agree with that? The correct answer is yes. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad you think that. I still live small and invest large. Uh, and that's very important. Sometimes when people make money in businesses, they buy houses they can't afford, cars they can't afford, go on holidays they can't afford, and they burn holes in the credit card. I'm, I'm a frugal person. I live small and I invest hugely. And that's a way to stability. Um, and I see so many people having businesses and because they live way beyond their means, the business is only ever servicing their debt. Mm, okay, yeah, that's a fair point. It's not yeah. actually yeah. building any wealth. And the whole point in being in business is to take money out of that business, to build your wealth, to go forward, to open your next business and your next business. And, of course, you donate by making those profits, you know, not as well as investing in and building your own wealth so that you're secure yes. in the future for your family and friends. But also you can donate as well. You can take yes. that money out of the business and I donate I mean, my business supports War Child, my favourite charity that helps children who are homeless in charity in, in War Afflicted countries. In war afflicted countries, particularly mm. Africa uh, and Syria at the moment. And we also support animal charities. Yeah. So, you know, we're collecting money for those charities by making profit as well, which is a good feeling to go yeah. to sleep on that's at night. A good, that's a good thing about the money mindset is that think a bit, that's nice, actually. That's another little collect, little meme. You I'll know, be charging you for these memes. You're con- <laughs> no, you won't. <laughs> You'll get the bill. No, I like that, collecting. See, look, she's selling already. She's selling again. She's even selling her partner on air. <laughs> but that's point. It is good. I think to think of it as, yeah, collecting money to donate to your favourite causes. That's a nice little reframe because sometimes I think it's important particularly for activists who are going into starting their business they've got to do that bit of reframe I know I had to around money um, and to see you know running a business as a form of activism making it easy for people to buy you know vegan products and services educate them around their health through plant-based eating and the environment however it is and also like we're saying yes to be able to make that profit um, and you know after you've got all your living expenses and you know you're living comfortably yourself you know any other profit you've got left over you can be giving that to your favourite cause and charity. Fantastic. This is very good. This is kind of fun. I wasn't sure how this would be interviewing your <laughs> wife on air, but it's actually been quite fun. So the final question then, my love, is what's your long-term vision for yourself and your brand? Uh, my long-term vision is uh, to keep helping people because that's what I love doing. It, it was really what I was born to do. Um, I, I think that as long as I'm compass mentis and as long as I'm 
physically able and able to be around, I will always help people in some form through my businesses because that's my passion in life. And it's part of my belief system. And you don't believe, you don't abdicate your belief system just because you get to 103 years old. Mm. Um, so, yeah, I do see, I teach a lot nowadays and uh, I like that and I probably teach a bit more. Um, you teach other hypnotherapists. I teach other hypnotherapists. I teach wealth building seminars, but I, I, I enjoy sharing, sharing the knowledge I've accumulated over the years. That's, that's a really important thing to leave things behind you and to know that as you, uh, pass off this mortal coil in another 60 years time, one hopes, <laughs> uh, that you leave happy people behind you. So yeah, I I see uh, unless there's a bus coming round the corner with my name on it, I see myself <laughs> being in business for a very long time. And of course, I'm planning businesses for when I'm ninety and when I'm a hundred. <laughs> Righty ho! And on that note, I think we'll leave it there. So I hope you found that um, useful. I say it was a bit strained interviewing your wife, but I thought, well, why not? She knows some stuff, and um, she shared it today. So thank you very much, Tracy, for You're joining most me. Welcome. We're going and to have dinner now, shall we? Absolutely. And <laughs> I hope you're. Your listeners are going out and going to sell, sell, sell. I think they will after hearing this. Thank you for joining me. Bye-bye. So that was Tracy O'Keefe, clinical hypnotherapist, naturopath and wealth builder. You can find out more at tracyokeefe.com, drok.com and healtheducationcentre.com. And those links are on the show notes page at veganbusinessmedia.com forward slash podcasts and going to episode 58. Now for our vegan business news roundup. Chicago is set to get its first all-vegan bakery later this year, reports Veg News. It's called Pie Pie My Darling, and I just want to acknowledge what a fabulously camp name that is. (laughs) It reminds me of that old Hollywood film from the 60s, Hush Hush Sweet Charlotte, which was a kind of horror film starring one of my favourite actresses, Betty Davis and Olivia de Havilland. (laughs) Now, the bakery is the brainchild of Heather Bodine Lederman, a favourite at pop-up markets across Chicago. For a couple of years, she's been running a monthly pop-up out of Kitchen 17, a vegan eatery in the Lakeview neighbourhood. So popular are her wares, including her signature funfetti cake with layers of golden butter cake topped off with vanilla frosting and sprinkles, that queues of more than 200 people would often wind around the block. When Kitchen 17 moves out of its current space and into bigger premises, Pie Pie My Darling aims to move in by August to wow both the local vegan community and mainstream customers. And with a name like that, I don't see how they can fail. (laughs) So vegan bakeries are another concept that's becoming more popular. Fantastic for this business to make the shift from pop-up to permanent. Social entrepreneur Dustin Leonard in Australia has launched a range of vegan condoms and sexual health aids, reports News Limited. 
The former Clio Bachelor of the Year, now Clio was a popular mainstream women's magazine which closed in 2016 after running for 44 years. And Leonard runs a social enterprise called Hero that works on a one-for-one basis. So for every sexual health product sold in Australia, one is sent to Africa. And since the company's launch, more than half a million free condoms have been sent to the continent in which HIV and AIDS are prevalent. Leonard has managed to get his products sold in large retailers, including Coles and Woolworths, which are two large supermarket chains in Australia. And he's currently in discussions with major retailers in the UK and China, with plans to launch in those markets later this year. How great is this? Not many people know that there are animal ingredients in condoms and lube and animal testing. And this is a fantastic opportunity to educate people and to do good in the world for people, animals and planet. The Hero range is plant-based, pH-balanced and petrochemical and paraben-free. Love it. I really hope that people buy these ethical products instead of the large brands. South Africa has got its first vegan magazine, reports Brand South Africa. Published by Media24, The Vegan Life includes recipes and articles on vegan living, including how to get enough protein and how to choose the best cruelty-free beauty products. Publisher Marianne Erasmus launched the magazine in response to the growing global trend in the popularity of veganism. Brand South Africa quoted Thokozani Mashigo, who's been a vegan for just over a year after adopting an alkaline-based diet, which meant cutting out acid-based animal foods. And he said his decision posed challenges, particularly for him as a black man, in regards to explaining such a foreign concept to friends and family. He also found it tricky finding suitable eateries that cater for vegans, as well as understanding the labelling on food items. He said the new magazine has helped him plan more nutritious meals, as well as learning more about vegan living. So this is really heartwarming news. There's an abundance of vegan publications which reflects the rising interest in the philosophy, and it's great to see South Africa get in on the act. Finally, popular Californian vegan cheesemaker Miyoko's Kitchen has received another round of investment funding to take it to the next level, reports the San Francisco Chronicle. In just over two years since the company launched in 2014, it's received $6 million in funding, a far cry from founder Miyoko Shinna's first vegan business, Now and Zen, which she opened in 1997. No one really wanted to invest in vegan food at that time, and the eatery closed in 2003. The latest investment, which comes from JMK Consumer Growth, joining previous investors, including Obvious Ventures, the venture capital firm of Twitter co-founder Evan Williams, will be used to ramp up production of Shinner's vegan cheese and butter products. In addition to her award-winning artisanal cheeses, Shinna plans to launch a lower-cost range of basic vegan cheeses as well as a smoked mozzarella. When the company launched, it made 800 rounds of cheese per week. Now it makes 100,000 a month. Wow, that certainly puts the scaling into perspective, doesn't it? 
Shinner expects to hit 10 million in sales this year and 10 times that in five years. The investment funding will also go towards the creation of a much larger facility in Petaluma Fairfax with more efficient equipment to keep up with demand. Woohoo! <laughs> I'm so happy to see Miyoko's Kitchen experience so much success. Miyoko's a real pioneer in the vegan food space, and you can listen to my interview with her in which she shares her challenges and her strategies for success in episode 17 of this podcast. So that's it for this episode of Vegan Business Talk. Thank you so much for tuning in. If you enjoyed the show, I'd really appreciate it if you gave it a review and rating on iTunes or any other platform you're listening on. Finally, I encourage you to head over to veganbusinessmedia.com where you can find more resources, including details of my media and PR consultations, copywriting, editing and proofreading services to help you grow your vegan business. I'm Katrina Fox, author of Vegan Ventures, Start and Grow an Ethical Business. And I look forward to catching up with you in the next episode of Vegan Business Talk. Bye for now.